Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And Daughter Do Death. Good evening, Phoebe. Hi, Dad. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm just sitting here listening to the rain absolutely pouring outside. Hopefully uh, it's not going to affect our recording too much. (laughs) It rained a lot here today, but it's dry now. But it's been so muggy. Yeah, it was cold, cold, cool, cold even earlier, but it's, um, yeah, a bit warmer this evening. It's not great for June, though. No. summer's day. It was a miserable yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. Nice British weather. <laughs> nice British summer we're seeing. Yeah. It was good to see you at the weekend. It was lovely to see you, and thank you for my mug. You are welcome. Yeah. And our matching mugs. Our matching mugs. Dad and daughter uh, do death mugs, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, it was... Very good to go and see In the Heights at the cinema. Yeah, Our first time in the it. cinema for a very long time, wasn't very it? Very long time. I cannot remember. I just cannot remember <laughs> the last time I went to the pictures of what it was for. <laughs> what well, I as, I said, as I said to you, I think the last thing I saw was Cats. And I can say that In the Heights was an infinitely better <laughs> musical adaptation <laughs> than Cats was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I didn't see cats. I haven't seen cats, but uh, I love I love the show in the Heights anyway, and uh, it was it was good. The energy, yeah. the down and dirtiness of it all, mm. you know. It, it really so, felt like you were in New York, didn't it? Yeah, whole, you could almost like smell it. Like you yeah. could imagine what it would smell like, and yeah, it was. It's, it was uh, but, but the dancing, the choreography, and everything was just out of this world. Incredible. Yes. Yeah, and, and and the sort of the, the tricks, the visual, the yeah, as I was the, about to say, the kind of <laughs> special fantasy of it. Yeah, yeah, it's really clever because it's like every it's really quite a sort of an everyday story of people. Okay, mm. so they sing a lot, but then you know you got these fantasy bits with the special effects and everything that just sort of <laughs> yeah, I think that really came out. So yeah. Very, very good. good. I'm glad we stay to the very very end after all the credits to see yeah. the. Uh, the last little bit i'd forgotten about that actually until you <laughs> <mentioned> it. <laughs> great film loved it, it thank you very good. much thank you for you're a great welcome. father's day weekend you're welcome anyway there we go dad and daughter talking about musicals again dad and daughter do musicals yes <laughs> <laughs> our spin-off podcast we've got to get on to death we've got to get on to death um uh, any death stories this week there's been a couple of bits in the news. I think the high profile one was the police officer who was convicted of um, tasering the um, ex-Arsenal player, which is a really sad story, um, nice. but interesting to follow. And then there is this story um, going around about this French lady who was on trial for the murder of her husband, um, who was seemingly incredibly sexually abusive to her um and almost like trafficked her um and so she's on trial and that's quite an interesting trial I think coming out um and obviously the the Greek case that we mentioned last week um is ongoing so we'll see see what happens with that um there has been some updates on the Laurie Vallow case I think they the prosecute the defense put forward something and the prosecutors said they're being ridiculous now sort of thing so I think um that right. they're trying to kind of the, the prosecutors are on to the defense yeah about okay. what they're trying to get away with basically so again we'll we'll keep our eyes on that and see where, where that's going let's give a shout out to crime and crime again who promoted us on on their instagram page yes Hope and thank you, you so much for the really, to our podcast 
Yeah, thank you so much yeah, for the really lovely, lovely feedback as well. That was really lovely to read. Thank you very much. Yeah, we do our best. So tonight I'm going to tell you a story which is set in Sweden in the 1980s. Sweden? Sweden. So our, our first trip yeah. to Sweden, the home of ABBA, Ikea. Yeah, I don't Volvos. know what else it was for. Volvos. Homeland of ABBA and Ikea, and to be honest, what else do you need? This story is not about um, ABBA or Ikea. Um, it is okay. a story about Dr. Teet Ham. Um, so, yeah, his name is Teet, T-E-E-T, Ham, H-A-E-R-M. Um, he was born okay. in Stockholm in Sweden in 1953. By the yeah. early 1980s, he was a prominent criminal forensic pathologist, like uh good friend or he's not our friend but dr richard shepherd whose book we both read recently and thoroughly enjoyed and thoroughly enjoyed um he performed regular autopsies on people who'd been killed he worked really closely with the police he was their go-to guy he was really quite young he was only in his um early 30s by this point but he'd really built up a reputation for himself um he'd been published in a number of prestigious medical journals He'd been the keynote speaker at several international conferences and he was really considered an expert in the forensics of strangulation murders. And in 1982, he published papers around strangulation and a particular paper that was called Face and Neck Injuries Due to Resuscitation Versus Throttling. Oh, okay. Um, he worked at the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm and for the police as well. And he was he was he was doing well for himself. Um, but tragically, he was a young widower. Um, his wife died. She'd committed suicide in 1982. Oh, gosh. He was found hanging by the side of her bed, all dressed up to go out. And this did initially lead the police to think that maybe some foul play had occurred, but this wasn't taken any further because there just wasn't any evidence. Um, even though her dad had told the police that she was in the process of filing for divorce from Teat, but uh, this didn't come to anything. And this left Teat to raise their four-year-old daughter on their own. He was known as being quite cold, quite arrogant and creepy. Mm-hmm. Um most people thought that the response to his wife's death was unusual um, and he just completely threw himself into his work. Um, He got really obsessed into, you know, being the best of the best that he could be, um, trying to get all of his friends involved in his work, inviting them to come along to see bodies so he could explain things to them. Um, He'd send them like unsolicited reports and photos of post-mortems, like look at this cool post-mortem I did today, which is a bit weird in the 80s as well because it, it wouldn't have just been a phone yeah. call, like a, an email. It would have had to have been, you know. Yeah, sent through the post. And yeah, yeah. that's not what you want to get from your friend in the post, is it? And then eventually he, he started to really enjoy looking into violent pornography and buying prostitutes. Um, and he had a good friend around this time called Olgren Thomas, who was also a doctor. He was a local GP uh, who also shared his enjoyment of prostitutes and violent pornography. So on the 10th of June, 1984, 28-year-old Katrine DaCosta was reported missing by, there's mixed reports on this, either her daughter, her son or her mother. (laughs) A member of her family reported her missing. Um, She was a former model who'd fallen on hard times um, and she was now a heroin-addicted prostitute and she disappeared. Five weeks after her disappearance, some of her mutilated remains were found in a bin bag 
um, north of Stockholm in a place called Solna, um, which is really close to the Department of Forensic Medicine, conveniently, where these police autopsies were performed. Um, And then three weeks later, they found another bin bag with some more of her remains, but they never found her head. They never found one of her breasts and they never found some of her internal organs. So the murder of prostitutes wasn't unusual. Um, It's definitely something that we've talked about before. It seems to be something that goes through time, doesn't it? And um, I'm just listening to Necronomapod's series on Jack the Ripper, which is fantastic. And actually uh, something I looked to do this week was around the torso murders, which happened at the same sort of time as Jack the Ripper, um, which could be worth us looking at another time. But a lot of it centres around prostitutes who are not very well looked after by their communities and then they get killed and that's that so you know it's not unusual for prostitutes to have been killed goes along with the oldest profession in the world i suppose the oldest murder victim in the world almost absolutely so that wasn't usual but the way that the body had been cut up made it quite unique and um it started being coined the stick mordet That's probably not how you pronounce it, but that's how I'm going to say it, (laughs) Um, which translates as the cutting up murder. And this got a lot of public interest. And actually, it's what went on to inspire Stee Glasson's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, um, which I have not read or seen, but it's supposed to be very good. But this idea about finding these bodies in bin bags. So obviously there was a lot of attention about it. The uh, police got their best pathologist to have a look at it. And this Mm -hmm. was Dr. T. Tem. He performed the examination on the 19th of July, 1984, and he managed to kind of piece her body back together, just about, apart from her head and her breast. And they took her fingerprints, and from that they were able to identify it as being the body of Katrine de Costa. And Dr. Hem concluded that the killer must have been really skilled at butchering animals because of the way that she'd been cut up. Yeah. Um, and the way that, you know, how, how delicately it had been done, almost. So because he said that it must have been someone who was really good at butchering animals, the police went and questioned every butcher in the nearby area. But everyone had a good alibi. They could account for themselves. And there was no other evidence. The case went cold almost immediately. They just had absolutely no leads. Um, not too long later, another body was found, and this time it was the strangled and mutilated corpse of another prostitute, 26-year-old Annika Morse. She was found in a public park, and she'd been yeah. strangled and mutilated. And they took this body back to Dr. Hem and said, we found this other body, very similar to the last one. And he said this time that he thought the same killer was responsible but it was obvious that it was somebody who knew how to use a scalpel as the cuts that were on her body were clearly made from a scalpel. Um, oh, yeah. And it must also be somebody who was who had a really good idea of human biology as they'd removed her heart, her liver, her kidneys and her womb really neatly. So they hadn't okay. just kind of like slashed Packed her up and ripped these things out. They'd really yeah. delicately been able to kind of take these things out. Right, um, okay. So a few weeks later, on the first Someone of August, with medical training. Somebody with medical training. (laughs) A Mm. few weeks later, on the 1st of August, the body of 27-year-old Christine Cravash was found uh, naked and strangled in Stockholm's red light district. And over the next few weeks, five other women disappeared. So there was Lena Grants, Katz Falk, Lena Beauford, and Lena Manson and Lotta Svensson 
lots of laners. <laughs> um, they all laners. went missing. They weren't all prostitutes, but the police were quite confident that they had fallen prey to what was now being regarded as a serial killer in this area. And actually, before right. she disappeared, Lena Beaufort had said to the police that um, she was concerned about this guy who'd been lurking around and she wanted to report him. But before she could go in for an interview, she disappeared. Hmm. But there were no real leads. The public was getting really worried, obviously, because there was a serial killer who was kind of starting to spread out. They weren't all prostitutes, but the police were quite confident that they'd fallen prey to what was now being regarded as a serial killer in the area. And obviously people were getting really concerned because he was branching out of the red light district um, and apparently killing anybody um, out of just whatever reason he wanted to kill. Yeah. There were no real leads. The public was worried, obviously. The police went into the red light district and began questioning prostitutes and regulars to see if they could pull any sort of information together. Over 600 people were interviewed and a common thread that started to emerge was that many of these women had described a boyish, well-dressed young man driving a white Volkswagen rabbit. One witness said that this man had beaten her up um, but she decided against reporting to the police, which is so common um, in, in these sort of cases. Definitely not the first time we've heard that. But she'd written down the licence plate. So she gave this number to the police. Um, and when investigators ran this number through the system, they were stunned to find that the Volkswagen rabbit belonged to Dr. Teat Ham. Okay. So he was brought in for questioning mm. and they searched his home. They found a very disturbing photo of his dead wife. She was totally blue in the face. She had a rope around her neck and things. It wasn't how she was found. So this really called into question whether his wife Anne had committed suicide after all. Right. But there really wasn't any other evidence. So they couldn't do anything about it. And given his kind of, interest in the subject of strangulation and that sort of thing they weren't sure if it was just a photo that had been taken somewhere else but it it looked weird that he had this like awful photo of his dead wife in his house it was definitely her it was definitely her and shortly after this he lost his job because it really kind of called into question his integrity essentially if he had these sort of things lying on his house and the police were desperately trying to find other evidence that either linked him to these cases or that had some sort of indication about what was going on with these prostitutes. In March 1985, the bodies of Lena Grants and Katz Volk were found. And this was in a car okay. that was submerged in Hammerby Dock. Um, their bodies had been mutilated. There was evidence that they'd been sexually assaulted. Um, and they really mirrored the earlier attacks with the sort of injuries and mutilation that had taken place here. And then on the 7th of January 1986, Tazunga Toyonaga, a Japanese student, was found dead in Copenhagen. So quite a long way from Stockholm. (laughs) But the injuries that she had were almost identical to the ladies who'd been killed in Stockholm. Okay. Um, Almost identical sort of situation. She'd been sexually assaulted and then mutilated with a scalpel and essentially butchered. But... The cases just went completely cold. There was no other evidence. There was nothing else kind of pointing them towards 
what had happened. Yeah. Until October 1987, when a kindergarten teacher in Stockholm reported that she believed that one of her pupils was being sexually abused. The girl turned out to be the daughter of Dr. Olgren Thomas. So if you remember him from earlier on, he was the guy who was Tim's friend who right. also had a thing for prostitutes. So Thomas obviously denied the allegations, um, but after hours of questioning, he broke down and he admitted to abusing his daughter. And then he stunned investigators by confessing that he'd been involved in the murders of the eight Stockholm serial killer victims. And he said that he hadn't killed the women, but he had just been present when they had been killed by his friend, Dr. Teet Ham. So according to Thomas, him and Ham would wander the streets looking for loan workers um, and then offer them money to go back to Ham's for a sex party. Um, And as soon as he kind of had them, he actually took them straight to the morgue where he worked, where he would cut them up. And they would sexually abuse them after they were dead. He would probably strangle them to kill them. And then he would um, cut them up, get rid of their blood, dismember them and get ready to hide them somewhere. And Thomas said that he and Hem were actually part of this organisation that were practising vampires and cannibals. So they would drink some of the blood and eat some of the flesh, which was all part of a druid ritual that this group believed in to take on the soul of the body that they'd killed. Regardless Mm -hmm. of whether that happened or not, they definitely, well, they took the bodies to the morgue, chopped them up and then got rid of them. So this doctor who had been investigating these cases had already... (laughs) done the legwork essentially and chopped them up and got rid of them and then they'd been brought back to him to to put them, back together, their, yeah. to put them back together and to work out their cause of death but it was only a great time doing that yeah. so on the 28th of october so 1987 i was just gonna say no sorry they're, they're both doctors yeah so, so they, they both have the skills to do that yes but i think because so thomas was just a gp so i think that right T- um, was just doing the yeah, yeah, the, the up and uh, um, yeah. But Thomas was kind of there for the for the fun of it, for the ride, essentially for mm-hmm. the ride. Yes. Wow. So on the twenty eighth of October, nineteen eighty seven, Teet Ham was arrested and charged with all eight murders: the seven in Stockholm and the one in Copenhagen. And the trial commenced a year later, but weirdly the prosecution's biggest witness was teat's five-year-old daughter who was now five um who apparently saw her dad behead a prostitute and she reenacted it with a doll in the courtroom however she was five when she testified which meant that she would have only been 18 months old when this happened which really calls into question the integrity of her as a witness but the jury bought it and on the 16th of September 1988, they found him guilty of all eight murders. However, before the judge had formally confirmed the verdict, several of the jurors gave interviews to the press, which resulted in the High Court overturning the conviction. Ah. Uh. So Teat and also Thomas were retried but they were actually both acquitted of the murders, mostly due to the lack of evidence against them and the amount of doubt that surrounded them. 
But so, the judge was convinced that they'd cut up the bodies, uh, kind of from this little girl's testimony a little bit, because I did kind of plant some sort of doubt in his mind about it. Um, but the location of the bodies, the way that they'd been cut up, it was all too convenient. But by the time that this had all happened, the statute of limitations had run out on the crime and they couldn't be retried again. Wow. So, so I mean, her- the evidence was a bit thin, wasn't it? The evidence they managed to bring to the court, if, if all they had really was... Well, the five-year-old yep. <laughs> testimony. And what uh, the doctor has She's got to be dubious at best, isn't it? Yeah, for, absolutely. And what the doctor had confessed to. But if there was yeah. no physical evidence linking them... No, and there was no... a bit circumstantial, didn't it? Absolutely. And there was the idea that maybe he'd been around in the red light district in his car, and a lot of people had said that, but... He had admitted to paying for prostitutes in the past anyway. So he wasn't necessarily just there to chop them up. But yeah. So Hem and Thomas now live as free men. Apparently Hem tried to commit suicide in 1985 as part of all of this. Um, So he's pretty much deaf now, but they're still alive. Um, Thomas won't respond to anything, but Herm had done a bit of an interview for the paper, but it all had to be kind of written because you couldn't have a phone conversation with him because he's deaf. Um, and he said, okay. no, I, you know, I had nothing to do with this and it just completely ruined my life because he lost everything. But do we know if these particular crimes stopped once that they'd been. Well, <laughs> so it, more recently, a, another kind of line of questioning has come into thought around this these cases so obviously the the big question was around this initial murder of Katrina Costa and three months before she was found dead a Polish butcher named Stanislav Gonerka had been released from a psychiatric institution and he'd been serving a sentence for the murder of a woman in 1974 who he'd strangled and cut up into pieces and then put her remains into bin bags. Her head, like Katrine's head, had never been found. Gonerka had an alibi um, and he'd been seen amongst the Stockholm prostitutes at the time of her disappearance. And the police knew him to be dangerous, particularly when he was drunk, but they dismissed him as a subject really early on. So, you know, like initially when they started looking at those, um, the butchers, they dismissed him right at that point. But many of the prostitutes said that they'd known him as a customer and loads of people said that he'd frightened them. Um, but he actually died in 1987 and the last murder was the one in 1986 up in Copenhagen. So it's uh-huh. not unreasonable to think that maybe he is, could have been responsible for it. Um, they were trying to get some tissue samples that had been held of his when he died to see if that kind of matched any of the hairs that were found um, in Dacosta's remains or if there are any matches. Um, and if it does, then obviously Herm and Thomas could be found innocent. Exonerated um, of it all, yeah. Could be exonerated. Yeah, but yeah. I do think that, well, I mean, Thomas was sexually abusing his four-year-old daughter. So, you know, he's not a good man. And, no. um that whole question mark around what happened to Teet Herm's wife, wife yeah, is really interesting. And yeah, it's just really convenient that all these people were found where they were found and 
how they were found and I don't know I yep. think it's I don't mm. I, yeah I was like yeah they it's definitely did been... it and then when I read that thing about the the Polish guy I was like oh maybe not so never been proven wow never been okay. proven so nobody really knows who killed them legally Ham and Thomas didn't do it even though the judge thinks they did but they can't be tried again because of yeah the law <laughs> Um, or it could have been this other guy who then died in 1987. And unless they can get some, you know, decent forensic evidence to link him to it, they'll never know if it was him or not. Or, or, link, or link the others to it. Or link the others to it. Yeah. So, but either way, yeah. wow, okay. Someone's got away with murder. Somebody has got away with the murder. Then the very brutal murder and sexual assault and mutilation of oh, eight people. Several women, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's the story of. Uh, Interesting. It, it's just amazing that these, these people actually exist on this yeah. planet. That they crazy, will do it? that sort of thing and go out and kill people. Yeah. I, I and mean, then I know that's chop them up and wow. Yeah, and I think so. As I said, it um, inspired the story of the girl with the dragon tattoo, but also okay. apparently the the Wallander series um, oh, was yeah. quite inspired by this thing, like really exploring that dark side of Scandinavia and these awful things that do happen in Scandinavia. It's not all like here in Abba. <laughs> um, you can actually drive from well, you could drive all the way from Stockholm to Copenhagen. Oh, that's interesting. Because there's a bridge that links Malmo in Sweden uh, to pretty much Copenhagen, just north of Copenhagen. So it's a bit of a drive from Stockholm to Malmo, but hey, it's all one country. And then uh, yeah. it's pop across the bridge and there you go, you're in Copenhagen. So um, there you go. So yeah, crazy good story. story. Good story. I can't get over yeah. the fact that he was just like killing people, then dumping them, and they were like bringing them back to him to investigate the deaths. So I'm like, oh, I have no idea what yeah. happened. To allegedly, you. allegedly. Sorry, yeah, allegedly. Because <laughs> he was never proven. <laughs> like uh... Casey Anthony's uh, <laughs> innocent of killing her daughter <laughs> legally. She is. She was found not guilty in a court of law. <laughs> like these yeah. people were found not guilty in a court of law. Or they were, yeah, they were acquitted in a court of law. So, so you can't and say that it went any other way, I'm afraid. Absolutely not. And these are the... <laughs> <You can> speculate. <laughs> those are, unfortunately, the uh, the laws that we live by, aren't they? Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, they are. I mean, he was an academic, though, wasn't he? He was writing mm. papers about strangulation and stuff. So he and obviously I think knew his subject. Yeah, mm. and I think that's one of the interesting things, like the way all the strangulations link together. And, I, yeah. you know, it was only a few weeks after his wife's death that he released that. Um, paper around the difference in face and neck injuries due to resuscitation versus throttling. Yeah, which I thought was really interesting. I mean, I I mean I, I'm not a first aider. I don't know a huge amount about resuscitation, but I don't think that you um like squeeze somebody's neck to resuscitate them. I don't think that's no. <laughs> I don't think that's part of the uh, the the plan, is it? <laughs> no, I suppose if you're doing CPR though, you could cause some damage. Yes, but you'd probably yeah, notice that it wasn't around your chest, yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah, your neck, would yeah. it? But I wonder if it's more to do with, you know, when you strangle somebody and probably hopefully you don't know when you strangle somebody, but when somebody is strangled and don't they get kind of black marks around their eyes or like um, um, blood vessels? Little tiny, can... tiny, little tiny dots actually on the white of the eye, isn't it? You get the hemorrhaging. So. 
So I wonder yeah. if it's more to do with that. So something okay. along like how that kind of facial hemorrhaging would look yeah. if someone tried to resuscitate you compared to somebody strangled uh, okay. you. I wonder if it was that sort of thing. But how would you know? Well, yeah, without trying it. Without out. doing it, without experimenting. <laughs> so I hope that you found that an interesting story to listen to tonight. I did. Thank you very much. Um, I thought it was fascinating when I found it. So it was, yeah. There you yeah. go. Hopefully you found it interesting as well, listening at home. You can always uh, find us on Instagram at Dad and Daughter Do Death. And on Facebook at Dad and Daughter Do Death. And you can email us at Dad and Daughter Do Death at gmail.com. Yeah, if you were enjoying listening to us, please do leave us a review or give us a rating, subscribe, download, all of those things. And I know we mentioned it last week and on Instagram, but we're just thrilled that we've had like a thousand downloads of our little midweek get togethers. <laughs> yeah, a little podcast that we enjoy doing so much. Will there be any pictures uh, going on to our social media pages, maybe? Yes, there are some pictures. I will um, pop some, some pictures on our social media pages. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So take a look at those. Tell your friends about us. And join us again next time. And once again, Dad. And daughter, do death. <laughs>